really there's five companies that would have gone down those stairs. Yeah, I, I really, really don't only because, you know, we were left with very little choice. Uh, we hadn't identified a second means in this cellar yet. We were told there was a family trapped on the second floor. Um, you know, it's one of those decisions. You know what I right. mean? The decisions and, and company officers and, and not to go back to company officers, but, you know, like a chief's going to give a company officer a task. It's up to the company officer to decide if he can complete that task. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it would have been very easy for me at the cell, top of those stairs to say, Chief, we're going to sit here. We can't get down to something. No one ever would have questioned that. You know what I mean? But sometimes, you know, you got to pull up your big boy pants and, and you make that decision. And we made that decision to get down. Guys did everything I asked and we put that fire out. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never ending fight against complacency. Here we go. Once we're live, anything can happen. Good. Pulling up the notes. It is Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, Weekly Scrap, number 172. Tonight's guest is Tim Klett. He's a 40-year fire service veteran, serving the last 31 years with the FDNY. Tim is now a lieutenant on Engine 88 in the Bronx after spending many years on Engine 69, one of FDNY's busiest engines, Tim is the lead hands-on training instructor for FDTN Academy's engine operations program and is the author of FDTN's Stretching and Operating the First Line. Tim has been a lead instructor for FDIC, Firehouse Expo, the Orlando Fire Conference, Wichita Hot, Andy Frederick's Training Days. Basically, if it is a conference we're teaching at, he has been there. He has also written articles, Fire Engineering, uh, FDTN, Size Up Magazine, many uh, author, instructor, presenter, also a member of the group that has totally rewritten FDNY's Engine Company Operations Manual. So, with all that being said, there's a lot. I mean, I'm just scratching the surface of the man's bio. We have a lot to get to and talk about. It is my pleasure to have you, uh, Lieutenant Tim Klett, as my guest this evening. Welcome to Scrap Number 172. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. A lot of uh, it's all lies. It's all lies. I'm I'm no different than anybody else. No, just the guy that loves what he does. I'm I'm actually I'm recently retired too. By the way. Okay. Okay. I'll update the bio. Uh, Everybody, Mm -hmm. we had a little bit of internet issue. I had to reboot everything to to make it work. So knock on wood. I don't want to jinx anything. Right now, everything is working good. Is there anything I missed? Uh, other than the recently retired, anything you'd like to add? No, that, that's it. I mean, like, I don't, I'm not a bio guy. I'm really not. Okay. Um, you know, I, I don't believe I'm anybody different than anybody across this country that's putting fires out. I just, you know, I was lucky. I got to work in a big city and, and, but it doesn't make me any better than anybody else. Love it. Audience, get your questions primed and ready for the panel, uh, for, for Tim and myself. This one should be awesome. Kyle. He's on a table. Kyle is here. Uh, he is looking for your questions. Uh, before we get going, I'll do all my housekeeping. First thing I want to say is the vigilantes. Go to firehousevigilance.com and sign up. It's five bucks a month if you want to be a part of it. You get exclusive community, exclusive discounts, and exclusive swag, and access to influence the future scraps and the direction and, and the questions we ask, etc. cetera. Uh, so go do that. Okay. And then the sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Keyhoes. Check them out on Facebook, The Hose Experts, Royal Flush, Beer Line Cleaning, 
Check them out and their services at www.royalflushblc.com. Flame Decon, scientifically developed for firefighters decon. Flame's proprietary blend of activated charcoal removes all sizes of toxins and gets you truly clean. And then finally, there is the affordable drill tower. Firefighter owned and operated. The only thing you can't do on an affordable drill tower is live fire. The affordable drill tower, you can repel, stretch hose lines, go through the stairs, go through the floor, do window bailouts, cut holes in roof props, use the apartment balconies, pump into the FDIC, or flow water from the sprinkler system. Call Steve, 844-55-TOWER, or drop an email to info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Wow. It's like getting to be like, like, a, like a machine. So absolutely. Thank you, sponsors, for making this crap happen. And with all that being said, we are ready to get to it. My guest, Tim Clett, are you ready? Am I ready? I'm always ready. Always ready. You know, what what possibly could go wrong? (laughs) Here's the, I'll catch you up on the audience. Uh, Smoothbore Cartel said, boom, all caps. Brad Bennett said, let's go. This is going to be awesome. And he threw up the rocker finger, so I really appreciate that. Solid brother. My friend. Solid brother doing solid things. That comes from Joey Hayes. Uh, Again, another solid brother. Uh, someone said, go Knowles. What's going on with the Knowles? Okay, I don't, well, someone let me know. You're frozen. You've been freezing up a little bit. Uh-oh, I hope. It says my internet connection is unstable. Uh, uh, audience, like <laughs> audience, yeah. yeah join the club. <laughs> audience, let me know if it gets really bad. Just keep me, keep me informed, because for me, I can't tell. We got questions coming at you. Me and Tim, I'm, uh, I hope so. Yeah, me too. I am, brother. I'm sorry. That's all right. I have the uh, best internet I can ba- possibly get for my area. I've looked for all sorts like Google, you know, Blast and everything. I'm checking. Can you hear me right now? I can hear you, but you're frozen. Hmm. I hoped I fixed it with the whole reboot. It froze when he said what could you. go wrong. It happened right when I said that, too. <laughs> Run speed test. Uh, like, I'm getting nothing. Man, I was just so frustrating. I'm not dropping any frames, but it definitely says I have nothing going on. I'm going to give it a minute and keep talking. Uh, audience, is it just frozen? Can you hear me and see? I can hear you, but I can see you, but you're not moving at all. Ask Tim if he remembers the time. Now, now you go a little bit. Yeah, I'm hoping, man. We're gonna try and plow. We're gonna try and power through if Tim is patient while the I'm internet patient. does its thing. Okay. This is all okay. I can see you're things. Better. You're moving now a little bit. Oh man, you're like a you're like a Japanese movie. You're, the words don't line up with your mouth. Right. Man, Andrew McGinn said, let's start a GoFundMe for Corley to get better internet. And and as sad as that is, there is no better internet where I'm at. I, 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 I can't explain this enough. Oh, so frustrating. How is it doing right now? I'm asking the audience. Uh, let me know if, if things are working, if it's worth continuing with, because I do not want to punish Tim or the audience if it's, if it's just going to be You're brutal. I'm waiting to see a response. Your internet must be related to my wife, Corley. A lot of wife jokes on the unstable. Tim beat you to it. I just got to say that. All right. Good now. They're saying good now. Okay. We're going to try and plow forward like it's working. 
Roger that. <laughs> feet Roger is good that. now, but patchy. That comes from uh, Kyle Romagus. He said, feet is good now, but patchy. Okay, we're moving forward. He's grabbing questions, and I'm going to pull up the notes here. I was going to read a whole bunch of people's things, and then everything froze. Okay, leadership, company level. That's what I wanted to start with. Your uh, presentation at HROC this year blew me away. I loved it. And not just the fact that how good the content was, it was the fact that it was the last class of the day after a long day of teaching. And that is, if anybody teaches or presents knows, that is not an easy slot to come into. And so when, and even as a person who presents and teaches, when I went in there, I was like, man, should I even go in here? And, but no, you dude, you crushed it, knocked out of the park, grand slam. And I was blown away. So anyway, talk to me about company level leadership. Well, you know, I don't think it's, it's that difficult. I think guys get themselves in trouble uh, trying to be someone they're not. Uh, I think if you go into it and, and with the right mindset, and we had talked a little bit earlier about, you know, certain key things and certain words and and and, and what you need to do to, to, to succeed. And, and I think, you know, there's one word that encompasses a lot of what we do as company officers, and that's, that's trust. I mean, and, and there's no barrier – um, from trust in the firehouse to trust in the fire ground. It's just, you know, the firemen don't make any, they, there's no difference between that. If they lose trust in you at the firehouse, they're not going to have trust with you on the fire ground. And I think that just being honest and, and, you know, and putting them first, but, but, you know, you put them first in the way that you don't try to give them what you think they need. You do for them what they need. You know, if you try to, if you try to patronize them and do what you think they need, I think you're going to fail. And, um, and I think that if, if you invest in them and invest in the company and they see that, I, I think that's a huge aspect of being that company level officer. Because, you know, I love being a company level officer. And I think being an engine officer is probably one of the best positions in the fire service. Yes. You know, based on the decisions you make and being the first one to the fire, you can be the first one in the fire building. You know, I was always the first one to the fire apartment. Uh, you know, I loved beating the truck up there. And if I could get into the apartment before the truck, I would. Right. Um, but I think that if you invest in that company, in the members, and they know that you're invested, in, and I think a simple way to do that, like we said already, is trust. But, you know, training also. And and when we talk about training in, on, at the company level, uh, you know, and I always tell young officers, you know, have a drill in your back pocket, something you know inside and out, something that you can go on your first tour and set that tone. That, Listen, I, you know, we're going to drill. You know, you want to dance around naked in the firehouse, you can do that too, but we are going to have a drill. It's as simple as that. And uh, have that drill in your back pocket that you know inside and out because, you know, in a, in a paid fire department, um, if you're a new officer, you're probably going to get a visit from the battalion chief that night on your first night. And he's going to want to see a drill. Um, and when you're drilling, especially if you get into more difficult things, and like in New York City, you know, you'd go down to the Rock, our, our division of training. And, you know, they would always say, hey, Lou, you know, give me two guys. You can, you know, we're going to have them slide and, and you don't have to do it. And I like, to me, I was like, well, wait a minute. You're going to have two of my guys do it. I'm going to do it. And, you know, and I'm going to be the first guy to do it. So they see that I'm putting myself out there too. And I think that builds that trust that, hey, listen, he's, he's got there showing us that he can do it, you know. And by doing it first, I, I always tell guys, by, by doing a drill and a hands-on training program first, mm. I mean, it leaves the firemen no option. They, they have to do it. They, they, and, and it relieves you of the, I guess, the, the problem of having to order them to do it. 
saying, hey, you got to do this. Right. Because if you do it first, it's, you've left them no options. Now they're forced to do it. And if they get embarrassed, they're just embarrassing themselves. Right. They're not embarrassed by me telling them to embarrass themselves. So I think those little things, those little things that we do to build that trust, whether it's training, whether it's taking care of their needs, whether it's, you know, whatever it might be, they've got to know that you, that they can trust you implicitly for everything, you know. And, and you know, the big thing about that, they're going to go home safe. Right on. No, and and you really strike a chord. And, and I want to ask this question. And, and, brother, there are already so many questions flying that I have to ask you, but coming from the audience. But I wanted to dig in on this and say how important and when you go first, how important is it uh, your example when you fail? Like not necessarily like catastrophic failure, but saying I'm just learning. I'm learning this the same as you are. And it's OK to fail. Well, it, well, it is OK. You know, like, listen, you want to make yourself look stupid. Try to defend the undefendable. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? So another little thing I always tell guys was you own you own what you can't and defend what you can. Right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you can't defend something, you've got to own it. If you can defend it, you, you defend what you can and you own what you can't. And, you know, everybody's going to make mistakes out there. There's no question. You know, I, I don't know anybody. Anybody that tells me that they've ever gone to a fire, everything went the right way. There, I'll show you a liar. You know, and, you know, one big thing that I used to do is I would punish myself relentlessly after fires. You know, I would go up and I would question everything I did right down to radio calls, what I said on the radio and what I didn't say on the radio. And, and, and it, you know, I would critique myself by myself before I would take the company together and then critique them. And, you know, if, like I said, if, if you show me a guy that says, I've been to a fire, everything went right, I'm going to, I'll show you a lie. But, you know, when things do go wrong and they will, you've got to understand that sometimes you can defend it and sometimes you can't. And if you want to make yourself look stupid, try to defend something that you can't. And if you don't mind, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I think yes. I told you in the classroom, uh, we had gone to a commercial building fire and we ended up stretching an inch and three quarter. And in the New York City Fire Department, that is a SOP for the two and a half inch hand line, hands down. There's no questions. It's a two and a half. The inch and three quarters showed up. I just said to the guy, say, stretch a line. I figured that they were going to bring the two and a half. They brought the inch and three quarter. Fires over. The chief wants to know why I stretched the two and a half. I mean, the inch and three quarter. Now, I had nothing to do with it. The guy stretched. So I tried to defend it. And I tried to, well, chief, we didn't know this. And you realize in your head, you can you can hear how stupid you sound. And finally, I said, you know what, chief? I don't know what I was thinking. I will never do that again. You know, um, I'll make sure the guys understand that I made the bad call, even though I didn't. The bottom line at the end of the day, that's my company. And if my company does something wrong, it's on me. And if my company does something good, it's on them. No, I love it. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you know, Chief said to me one time, he goes, oh, you know, we went down this cellar stairs into this basement that, you know, and I'll tell you this without any kind of hesitation, is that there ain't five engines in this New York City Fire Department that would have gone down these stairs. Um, I would have been very, I would have been right not to go down. We left very little choices. Anyway, we go down these stairs, and at the end of the fire, the chief asks me, another chief says, hey, uh, you were first due? I says, yeah. He says, uh, how'd you get in the cellar? I said, well, we went down these stairs. He goes, no, you didn't. I said, no, no, yeah, we went down these stairs. He says, no, you didn't. I go, yeah, chief, we did. I said, the guys were great. They did a great job. He's, and the chief said to me, he goes, great guys. He goes, that's a great officer. I looked right at him. I said, I disagree, Chief. The guys did a great job. I was just along for the ride. Right on. You know right what I mean? On, man. Yes. 
So okay. those are those little nuances that you do. And, you know, like, you know, and I couldn't have been more proud. I was like a, a father on Christmas morning. I mean, after that fire, I was so proud of that company. All right. Let me let me tell everybody. OK, there are definitely Internet issues with the scrap. OK, there's no doubt about it. A lot of people are getting it uninterrupted and I'm getting I'm getting notifications that some people are still live. If you lose it, refresh, 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 because you're losing connection to it. That's OK. Uh, but it is having issues, no doubt about it. But just refresh because it is staying live for some. So we're just going to plow through and go from there. The issues are on me. <laughs> I'll blame Tim, but it really is just it really is just the upload. So, yeah. Uh, according, to, uh, Kyle's telling me I'm still live for him. And there's about we lost about half the viewers just like like a chop. So that oh, sucks. No, no, without a doubt. So, but what I'm saying is, for those who are, I'm trying to tell everybody, just refresh. You should be able to get back in, and maybe your guys' connection is what's killing it, and then it'll die again. But right now, it is live, so we're gonna go with it. Are you ready for your first question from the audience? Sure, as long as it's not a hard one. Any math? I don't want math. No math is coming. Daniel Austin said, "What advice would you give a new company officer, and what would you do different if you had to do it all over again?" Wow, good question. Uh, advice um stay within your wheelhouse mm. you, you know like like we all we all want to be that guy we all want to jump in and make that impression um just get in and be who you are and and let what you know and you know what you've learned show who you are don't you know it's try, like trying to force feed an animal something they're not going to eat so just you know be who you are and, and let your actions speak volumes you know, like the, the people that talk the most, they do the least. You know, the people that do the most are the guys that are out there just doing it. So as a young guy, come in, like I said, have that drill, your actions. You know, be decisive. That's the biggest thing I'll tell young officers. Make a friggin' decision. Don't be indecisive. Don't be wishy-washy. Firefighters are army ants. They want something to do. Make a decision. You want to fail as a young officer, be indecisive. So go in there and just be who you are. Let your actions speak louder than anything else and be decisive and make those decisions. Mm. You know, no one's going to make a super poor decision. And if it doesn't work out, then we're, we're back to like we were before. Like, hey, listen, I screwed up. I'm human. You know, there's no big deal with that. Um, if I had to do anything different, um, <laughs> you're going to laugh. I probably would have drilled more. You know, and really? I, I, was, I was the guy to drill. That was my non-negotiable as an officer, I was a guy that drilled a lot, but there was a lot of times that, you know, I, I would look at what was going on and certain things and I would say, you know what, today we're not going to do anything. And I, you know, it was very easy to fall out of that routine of a daily drill once you started doing that. You know, like, ah, you know, today's not a good day. My day got away from me. Right. Um, no, dude, you know, that hits my soul. I, I'm not going to lie to you. It's true. You know, everybody starts the day with a plan. As an officer, you know, this is my plan. And then all of a sudden you get a couple runs and maybe you'll fire. And next thing you know, it's noon and they haven't gone out and shopped for the meal. And, and you know, and your dad gets away with you. So what I would say is, you know, you don't have to go out and have that big drill you wanted to. But after lunch, you can sit around the kitchen table and talk about the fire or talk about a building or go over a new tool on the rig. But I think that, you know, if I had to do it, I would every tour, every single tour, I would have done something. And, uh, you know, like I always used to, I got all the probies. They came to my groups. So, and I love getting probies because it was refreshing for me. It right. brought me back to, um, and uh, I think that if I could have 
treated every tour like I did when I had probies, I would have done that a little differently. Right on, man. Now I want to say I want to I want to highlight this, and I want people. I'll do the curt where you say write this down. It's the guy known for drilling more than other people. The guy known for drilling says, "If I could do it all over again, I would have drilled more." And yeah. that is a powerful statement. Well, and I'll tell you one little little thing is, and what you you're, what you'll start to see if you are that guy and you become that guy. You know, you'll be up in the office, and this 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 does cross both lines too. It's not just a paid thing; it is a volunteer thing. Also, I'm not saying we're just talking to the paid guys. Uh, even in the volunteers, even on a, on a on an unscheduled drill night, if you're hanging around a firehouse with a couple of junior members and you're an officer, you can say, "Hey, let's go out and look at the blitz fire." There's nothing wrong with having an impromptu drill, and and what I'm going to tell you is, as as an officer, whether it's a paid or volunteers. Um, is when you get a knock on your door in the office and the guys say, hey, Lou, we're going to go over the Stokes basket and some diamond lashing if you want to come downstairs. When the, when the firefighters start conducting their own drills right and inviting you to their drill, then you've, you've reached that apex. You're there now, and the guys are drilling on their own. It doesn't mean you can stop. It just means that they understand you guys are now on that same page. And that's one of those subtle signs that you, you know you've made it. You know, love it. Love the answer. Love the question. Love the answer. And I want to tell everybody, everybody here, because right now we're we're around a hundred people. Uh, so it just very important. There are internet issues tonight with the scrap. It is going from green light, which is great, to yellow, which is uh oh, to red. And then if it basically if we start getting choppy, refresh because it is still live, but it is definitely losing connectivity. So refresh. It depends on where you're at. All right. Um, from Chief Dennis Riley said, question for Tim. What do you think are the critical characteristics a good engine officer must have? <laughs> well, I think he has to understand. A good engine officer has to be able to separate uh, the fire round. There's no question about it. And, and he's got to be able to make decisions based on separating that fire round. Uh, because, you know, I have my duties as an engine officer and making engine-based decisions. It doesn't mean that I'm going to make life safety, not going to make life safety decisions and search decisions. I've just got to understand that, you know, my job is to get quick water on the fire, good quality water into the fire area. And I've got to get the line there. Now, you know, we've already covered some of that about getting the line there, because if I don't train my guys, you know, they're not going to get the line there and I'm going to have to supervise the stretch of the line. So that's why we train. So I it can it can free me up on the fire ground for other things. So I don't have to watch them stretch that line and get it to a position to operate. Um, but for an engine officer, he, he's got to be able to separate the fire ground and understand no matter what, whatever else, everything else is going on in the fire ground. It's his job and it's it's imperative. It's the it's it's the one decision on the fire ground um, that's going to be made by the engine officer. The chief isn't going to make that decision. If you walk off to the chief to just ask this question and I say, hey, chief, you know, do you want a line? Where should I stretch it? how big it should be, and how do you want me to get it there? What do you think the chief is going to say? Make I don't think you're going to be a lieutenant for long. The right. chief wants to pull up and see that line already going in the front door for the second floor fire or going around the rear for the rear porches or whatever it might be. So, you know, be able to to break down that fire ground and understand that, the, you know, how important that decision is of size of line, placement of line, and stretching of that line. Uh, and I think those things – as it pertains to getting water into the fire area. Because once we do that, a lot of his problems, the chief, 
a lot of the other things that are causing issues might go away. They might they might solve themselves. And even though it looks chaotic to that first new arriving engine officer, if he does his job the right way, some of those problems created by the fire itself might go away by good quick water in the fire area. No, you know, I hope that and that answers him. But that's for me. I was able to separate the fire ground, and even though there was a lot, of, you know, there was other stuff going on, I knew my job was, you know, to get that line and then actually supervise it, uh, its advance into the fire area. No, and I love that because as I've moved to the BC position, which is is maddening sometimes to roll up on a scene where you don't really have the control. You're in the front yard, you know, uh, on the sidewalk or in the in the car, depending on where you work, but. Um, the ability of your company officers to make those decisions just takes so much weight off your shoulders as you're seeing those things being taken care of. It, it, and also it allows the chief, you know, to expand his perspective. Right. You know, if he pulls up and there's no there's no engine work going on at all, he might zero in on like, hey, what the hell's going on with my engine and lose everything else that's going on in the fire ground. But if he pulls up and that engine's already doing what it's supposed to do, that's one less thing, he, you know, he can take it off his checklist. Boom. Okay, engine one is taking care of what they need to do. I can concentrate. Okay, I got people on a second floor ladder one. When you get in here, this is what I need you to do. The engine's already getting their line through the front door. You know, it's and, and that's why it's so imperative on that engine officer to be able to separate that fire bomb and stick to his, his key duty there of getting good, quick water into the fire area. I like this. It says... Uh, Smoothbore Cartel, Kyle said, the good engine officer knows what the chief needs before he needs it. The great engine officer executes it before being told to do so. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's uh, a summation of what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the chief wants. And that's what the chief's going to, you know, he's going to want that. He doesn't want, he wants a decision making officer, whatever, whatever the assignment might be. Also, it doesn't mean it's just engine work, but he wants a guy that's going to make a decision. Now, if he pulls up and he feels that that decision might be, you know, wrong or it might be, he can, it's his liberty to change that. Most guys don't do that, but at least he's going to pull up and the ball is already rolling in the right direction. You know? Absolutely. Again, in between questions, I'm going to say this. If If it freezes, refresh, we are still live. Uh, the the scrap is being extra challenging, and so can you rise to the challenge? Um, <laughs> next one, try. next one coming at you, Tim, is from Scott Hope Jr. He says, "As an up and coming company officer, how do you overcome the natural issue of buddy to boss mode, and at what point do you specifically make that distinguishment?" Well, you know, I, I like that question a lot, and you know, I think that. In a bigger job, it was very easy from the buddy to boss thing is a very easy thing to overcome because it's a natural thing. You know, you go from one borough to another and you show up in a firehouse where nobody knows you. But in a smaller place, that buddy to boss thing is, is kind of tough. And, and, and I think that gets back to some of the stuff we've already said. You know, you have to establish yourself right away. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying you can't be the guy's friend. And, you know, I, I, I hate talking about discipline and I don't know if this is a discipline question. But I was never, I never had a problem being the heaven. I just didn't, I never really had to be at that bat much, but there were times I had to be. And I always felt whether you were my friend or not, if you were in my office, you're there because of you, not because of me. Hmm. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I don't know if that's a conversation you have with a guy saying, hey, you know, we can't be friends anymore. But they do have to understand and you have to understand, establish your authority right away. Uh, and there can be no distinction 
you know, like on the fire ground, there's no, there's, there's no democracy. It's over. You know, in the firehouse, I could care less. You, whatever you want for lunch, you have for lunch. I'm not going to make that decision. So if you want to, you know, but we go out that door, you've got to understand. And I think that where the buddy to boss thing really comes to an end. We go out that front door. We are, you know, whether you're a volunteer or paid company, you are a professional firefighters, right? And the democracy's over. It's as simple as that. You know, what that offer decides and the decision he makes is what's going to happen. There's going to be no discussion. That's what that's what post-fire critiques are for. Right. We'll have that. We'll have this discussion after the fire. Why you think we shouldn't have done that? But we're on the fire ground. And if you question me on the fire ground, even if you're my friend, going to have a big problem with that. And then we will have that conversation. And I would tell him, listen, don't ever confuse our friendship with, with leadership and having to do our job done. You know, and, and you know, at that point, the fireman's crossing that line, not you. Right. No, on, but that is a that is a tough line in a smaller place to cross. It's a it's a it's a tough bridge to go across. I don't think it's unattainable. Uh, I think if you start with distinguishing the difference from the firehouse to the fire ground, and once that you establish yourself as that you are the boss in the fire ground, I don't care if you're my brother, I'm the boss. I think it bleeds over into the firehouse. If that makes any sense. No, it does absolutely. One of my favorite quotes. <laughs> I'm trying to read this comment because it keeps going. But it said, uh, Mark Zuckerberg can't stop a bunch of firefighters. Yes, absolutely. They can't stop us. We're going to keep on plowing <laughs> forward. Uh, and, and the audience, keep me posted on freezes and things like that. Because right now it seems Elon like... Elon Musk is doing it, right? Right, right. <laughs> He's got more money. Well, I don't know who has more money. We'll have to take the different... Uh, I know I don't. That. Yeah. That's all I know. That's the part we're clear on. <laughs> okay. I love this question. I really do love this question. Because, I mean, it is... Uh, Right along the vein we're still talking about, but I love the direction of it from, from where it comes from. Jonah Fateg said, what are some important things a firefighter can do to prepare to move into a leadership role? Hmm. Well, study, train. And one of the, one of the big things is I always tell, you know, you always train to learn. As a fireman, you were training to learn. If you're getting ready to go over that bridge to, to an officer, you've got to learn how to, to train. It's kind of flips it over. Now you're the guy, you're the instructor, you're the one that's going to so learn how to train, learn how to give a drill. And that's one of those things that happen in a firehouse when the fireman starts saying, hey, Lou, you mind if I do the drill? Absolutely. Knock yourself out. And when a, when the firemen are giving drills, you know, the officer should keep his mouth shut. And so one of those things is just you, you have to learn how to train. Right. Mm. And 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 if you're not decisive, learn how to be decisive and make a decision. Um, be comfortable with um, the SOPs of wherever you are. And I think that, you know, it, and I think most firemen are the same and most firefighters are the same. And I think if, if you keep that same mindset and, and don't try to be somebody you're not, we said earlier, learn how to train, you know, stick to those SOPs uh, and be decisive. I think that that transition from firefighter to, to officer will, will go a lot easier. Now it's always a tough transition because you, you know, the, the, if you're not going to be your biggest critic, then you will fail. You've got to be your big, biggest critic. You know, you've got to go back and, and, and pick on yourself, not in front of everybody, but you know, question your motives and questions how you did things. And that's the only way you're going to get better. If you come back to the firehouse and think you did everything right, you're never going to get any, any better. So I, I think um, that and being able to, um, 
take personal criticism is a big thing too. Mm, yes. uh, I mean, to, to understand that we're all fallible, <laughs> we can all make mistakes. And, uh, you know, when you do a post-fire critique as an officer, you may hear some of these criticisms and, you know, and that's the trust factor there. You know, we talked about trust a little bit earlier. Uh, if you want your members to speak freely in these post-fire critiques, they've got to be able to go into these things and not and not fear any retribution. You know what I mean? So you, as the officer, have to be able to take some criticism at those post-fire critiques. And if the, if the firemen know that, I think that transition is a little bit easier. If that helps right. you, I mean... No, excellent answer. Excellent question. First, I love the question. Love the answer, man. Especially the learning. Go from training to learn to learning to train. Yeah. And man, that, that, that's a powerful concept, man. I, I've never heard it put that way. And that's Kyle Romagus who kind of uh, wrapped that up in there. Refresh if it freezes. Please. Re- I mean, I, I, if it's frozen for you, you can't hear me say that. So. But refresh if it freezes. Write it on a piece of paper and hold it up. Yeah. <laughs> As it freezes. Yeah, I made but, a decision. Yes. And a, and a snap decision. I like the speed and alacrity in which it was made. I did it uh, in the window once. More water. More. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, last one. Last one on leader. Well, I say last one. Keep keep sending questions on leadership. Absolutely. Because I love uh, – it's one of my favorite topics, first of all. But Kyle Romaga says, what is the most valuable lesson you have learned on the fire ground? <laughs> Never let your guard down. You know, Napoleon said, I use it in the leadership thing I do, is you know, a, a, an army's greatest moment of vulnerability is immediately following victory. Victory, yes. You know what I mean? And Napoleon said that. And uh, you I know, think I learned it in your, your class. I, I learned huh? that in your class, actually. Yeah, so go never ahead. Never let Sorry. your guard down. I think that the fire has a funny sense of humor. And, um, you know, when sometimes when we think we're there, we just might not be. So... Um, I, and I told a story at the, um, down in Florida, and, and I'd like to tell it today. And I don't know if it helps in this question at all, but you know, we had had a fire, and and it was it, it happened. We you know we thought we were we were okay, and the next thing you know, we weren't. And um, one of my members said to me after the fire, he said, "You know, Lou, I knew it was bad." And bef- before I tell you what he said, I, I felt I was really proud of myself after he said it to me. And then I'll, I'll talk about it in a second what he, after what he said. But, he, you know, it went to shit. Uh, we were on a top floor of this building, and the fourth floor took off. And we were, almost, we were basically trapped on a top floor. Wow. And, and my fireman said to me, he goes, Lou, I knew it was bad. And I said, well, how? He goes, because you've never raised your voice at a fire. Now, most guys would look at that and say, wow, I'm proud of that, right? Right. And then I thought about that, and I said to myself, the single time in my career that I should have been the most calm, I yelled. Mm. You know, and I was, and it really beat me. I beat myself up. The, the time that I should have been the most calm, I got excited and yelled. And at first, I took it as a compliment. And then I realized, like, hey, listen, we're officers. We should be here all the time. If the roof comes down at us, you know where we should be? Mm. Here. That's powerful. Hey, yeah. guys, we're going to be okay. This is what we need to do. You know, and, and and that was a huge lesson for me that day. One is we let our guard down. And two was that, you know, when I thought I was good because that was the only time he said I raised my voice and it was the one time that I shouldn't have, you know. So uh, my takeaway is no matter how bad it is, no matter what's going on, no matter if you think you're going to live or die because you have other people that you're responsible for. And there's that the other one I'll tell you in a minute. 
that um that you're responsible for you need to be here you you you're you can't go up you can't go down you no matter how bad it is you've got to make them believe it's going to be okay and because if you yell they're going to yell it's as simple as that you get excited they're going to get Brother, because you are responsible for that. Absolutely, you know, I read this book on, huh? Go ahead, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt I, I you. I don't want to interrupt your flow. I, I I just finished reading a book on this German Panzer guy, and when I read one line in it, and I think that for, even for young officers, um, it's a really great line, and it said that the the enthusiastic acceptance of responsibility is the most dominant characteristic that we must look for in our company level officers. And it blew my mind when I read that. I mean, you know, the enthusiastic acceptance of responsibility, and that is it in a nutshell. You're responsible, and no matter how bad it is in the fire ground, and my takeaway was no matter what, from now on I had to be here because I'm responsible for four other guys. Do you know what German Panzer general that was? So I Otto Carius. Say it again. I mean, Otto O T T O C R A R I U S. I U S. Otto Carius. Okay. I absolutely love that, man. Yep. The enthusiastic acceptance of responsibility is the most dominant characteristic which we must demand of our company level officers. There you go. If you get, if, if nothing else freezes out of this scrap, man, if you get that right there. So yeah, Joshua Everett said, I read it and and for guy and you know, that, that, I think that answers, you know, you can, you can attach that to almost every question we've had Yeah, about being responsible. And here's the other thing is, is, is I always tell guys is that, you know, like your level, I'm not talking about calmness, but of experience, and, and, you know, I came from a very busy firehouse in Harlem. So I had been to a lot of fires before I got to 88. 88 was a very, very busy place uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And um, you can't operate, though, the way you think you can. You're going to have to operate within the realm of the weakest member of that company because you're responsible for that. So it's your job as the officer to bring that weak member where? To your level. And we do that through training. But if you go in there thinking that you're going to be able to go to a fire and, and make your, that same push with, with guys, you, you may not be able to do that. And, and, and you're going to see that in your first couple of tours, and you may have to bring those up. And that's when you'll see the weaknesses and their strengths, and that's all part of becoming an officer and then bringing, bringing that company. And, and I, always, I always felt that, that when I was in 88, um, because of the way we were and, and the chiefs knew how I drilled and and that we showed up always ready to go to work. You know, when we got to the fire ground, we were always ready to go to work. And I would walk up and I would walk right to the command post and I would tell them, you know, we're, we're second due on a second alarm. I can get a line off a 42 engine. And you know what would happen 90% of the time? We got put to work. Right on. You know, so be ready to go to work. Be ready to go to work. And this I'm one ready. thing. No, 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 no. That I love, dude, brother. You can ramble. You can tell stories. You can do whatever you want to do because it's 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 powerful stuff and it's passionate stuff. And passion brings value to the fire service. I I, I believe that with all my heart and soul. Love what I do. Love and, what I do. And I'm telling you right now, when you said the uh, earlier about uh, when your guys told you, I knew that was serious because I raised my voice, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like you. I'm like, I would take pride in that at first, you know. 
Yeah. But but and I'm going to dig into your psyche here. I hope you don't mind because I know you probably don't like people talking about you. But that's powerful, the fact that you could analyze and say, that's the time I should have been the most calm. You know, yeah. There, there are a lot of people who can't get past that first bit of, I'm proud. Yeah, look at me. That that takes some humility, brother, and that's very, very powerful well, listen, thing. Everybody wants to everybody wants to say they got salt under their fingernails and you know, they you know, they and, and that's great and all and, and then it comes time to, to you know to cash that in a little bit. And you know, like yelling on the fire round isn't you know, I wanna if I wanted to beat my chest over that and like I said, I beat myself up after every fire, I challenged myself and I went back and I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? The one time in my career I should have been calm, I wasn't. Yeah. You know? No, but it takes, like, yeah. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, everybody, if you can. Uh, those who can watch it seem to be having a great time. It does. It appears to be, like, depending on where you're watching from. So, again, uh, the the recording is going to be great. It's going to be on YouTube. You can catch it on the, the podcast. Some people are having trouble live, so I'll quit beating the dead horse. Um for those who can enjoy it, we will keep, we will continue on. And I'm going to, we're moving to some standpipe work. Ouch. And, and uh, two and a half talk. Ooh. Matt Johnson has a question coming at you. When you work standpipe jobs, how important was it to have a control man at the valve? And what equipment did you bring to hook up? Good question. Uh, and because there's a question within the question so our stamp pipe kit, um, we, we carried a, a spanner, we carried a Stilson wrench, we carried another two and a half cap, we carried a, um, we carried um, adapters, we carried a uh, pressure gauge, we carried a mallet, we carried um, a wire brush, we carried a spare wheel. Um, we also carried some some companies would carry these bastard tools for spinning the wheel, but you can do that with the Stilson wrench. If the wheel's locked by just putting the Stilson wrench in the wheel and cracking it like that, that'll, that'll mm. work. Um, but having a control man at the outlet, I think is a great question. Um, especially like for us, because, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys, when the second new engine gets there, they'll relieve our control man and he'll come up to the fire floor with us. And, and when I worked, I told my control man, that's not happening. You're staying I want. I wanted my guy at the outlet. Okay, that way I had direct communication with my guy. When I called eighty-eight control, uh, he was answering it. So right I on. wanted my guy to stay there. And the other thing, the reason about having one here is we do have to set that pressure, and we have to set that pressure with water flowing. It's not as important off the rig. Um, we can have standardized numbers off the apparatus, but when we're coming off the standpipe, um, because of what they're supplying that standpipe with. Uh, we need the guy there to open that, and then he's going to have to gate it down if we have too much to get. Once he puts the pressure gauge on there, he's going to have to set the pressure there. So I want him at that outlet to set that pressure correctly when we're either bleeding the line. If it's if we're flowing water in a fire department, it's already too late. So we always talk about a long bleed with the two and a half off a standpipe, which allows the control guy, the guy at the, the outlet, to set the correct pressure based on whether we have three or four links. Um, based on the fact some companies have the lead length of inch and three quarter, right. some are taking the lead length of two inch. So that guy, he's going to know the number he needs to have. He's from 88. Uh, and that's, I, I think it's extremely important that he stays there till we have the proper pressure. And I believe it's important for him to stay there even after that. So we have direct communication and my call to 
88 control doesn't get lost to 45 engine who's not listening for 88 control. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, brother, man. <clears throat> Thank you, guys. Everybody, yeah, so there's a lot of people saying, hey, it's worth the re- hit refresh. Yes, it's still going on. Uh, Jonah Fateh, coming back at you. As someone who doesn't have much experience with standpipes, what are some challenges from the nozzleman slash attack team as compared to a standard crosslay attack off the engine? Well, so you're talking the the two ends of the spectrum as far as engine work, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the attack line off the crosslay is the easiest thing an engine's going to do because very little can go wrong. I mean, it's pre-connected. It, all you're going to do is pull it, flake it out, and you're going to have water. Where the, where the standpipe... So many things need to fall in place. Very you know, nice. we've got to bring our, our folds to the drop point. We've got to make the connections. Then we've got to hook up to the standpipe. We've got to supply the standpipe. And then we've got to find an area that's safe enough to flake that thing out. Some of the challenges, um, well, for the nozzle man, because the officer, if he's trained you guys, he, he shouldn't be supervising this. You know, like I never supervised the stretch. I never supervised the hookup. You know, standpipes for us is one of the things we drill down a lot. You know, I'm going to be down the hallway, hopefully in the fire department, to trying to get a search done so I can beat the truck because no one <laughs> likes the truck, you know. So, um, but the, some of the challenges is he's going to make the decision based on some of the conditions in the hallway of where to flake that line out. A lot of time I'll tell him to bring the nozzle down, but he, he's going to have to flake that out. And, you know, where is he going to put the XSOs? Is he going to be out, go beyond the fire department? Is he going to do, leave it in the stairway? So some of those challenges – and there's a lot of things that he's going to have to base that on. You know, the distance from the, when he leaves the stairway to where the fire apartment is, is a decision. If it's a long way, it's not a big deal. But if it's right there inside the, outside the door, you know, it, people might think that's an easy stretch. Well, now you've got to lose X number of feet of hose because it's only 10 feet from the stairway. So that's one of those challenges. Um, for the attack team itself, um, you know, actually managing and, and moving that line. Now, there are ways to move that two and a half um, that make it very, very manageable. Uh, I think that if you try to flow constantly, uh, full open, you will, you'll burn yourself up. I think that gating down with two and a half, my opinion, isn't a bad thing for little advances. You know, so I would tell guys, listen, you know, put a nice bow of hose in front of the apartment. You're ready to go in. 10, 15 feet of hose for the initial push into the fire apartment. And most times, even if it's a big apartment, the break point in these apartments is no more than 10 feet in the doorway, which what I mean is it, it, the hallway leading to where the rooms might be right. is going to be no more than 10 feet into that apartment. So if you make that first initial push of 10 to 15 feet to get in there, then you have some area to work in to make that either the left turn or the right turn, wherever those rooms might be, and start getting good water into that area and make now the, the people in the hallway can manage some excess hose and allow you to move that line a little more easily. Right. But if you don't, you know, with the two and a half, everything is preparation. If you don't prepare that line for the advance, you're going to fail right off it. So you've got to take a little more time setting that line up. Where with the inch and three quarter, you know, perpendicular to the opening or parallel to the opening, it doesn't matter. You're still going to get that line through the opening. But with the two and a half, it becomes a little bit of an animal, and you've got to take a little more time setting it up. No, absolutely. I hope that helps. No, no, it's beautiful, man. It's a great question, great answer, man. I absolutely love it. I love the next one coming at you. And this one comes from Von Brown. Von Brown, it's been a while. I think I saw you at Pensacola in May. But he asked, Tim, throughout your career, 
What is your most memorable push? <laughs> I know it. I know it. Right? I got burned. Uh, we, we. It was funny. It was a. We were working. It was right before my son Daniel was born, actually. Uh, and uh, I was working, and I was still in '69 in Harlem. And we had a, we had a fire up the night before, two buildings away, that I had the nozzle. Just a couple of rooms, but two buildings away from the building we had the next night, uh, we had so. Um, we had a job at the corner of 141 Street and 7th Avenue, top floor. And when we got there, it was it was pushing out two windows really good. And, you know, I was working with two bosses in the in 28 truck and 69 engine was Bob Morris was in the truck. Anybody, I don't know if you've heard of that name. Oh, yeah, Patty, Brown was the, Patty Brown was the captain of 69. I mean, oh. how do you get any better than these two guys? Right. And they actually they actually both of them went into the wrong building. And I told the guy, I said, they're in the wrong building. The fire's in the corner. And they, they go, you got to go where they stretched. They went. So we stretched into the wrong building. And Morris yells down, we're in the wrong building. And I looked at the guys. I told you. So now we're running around the corner. By the time we get out of the wrong building, I look up. It's out eight windows in the top floor. And we get up there. And 28's get up there. 28's in the apartment. But they get chased out. And now the fire's out in the public hallway. So they have the, the entire apartment going. And um, it was the first night I had bunker gear. Very first back in, but it, was oh, wow. it, was, it was like the September in 1994. And, um, you know, long hallway, uh, a kitchen, bathroom, bedroom off to the left, and then a living room to the right, and then a, two bedrooms off the <coughs> living room that wrapped around. And uh, it was funny. We, we, we get we get down the hallway, make, and I was kneeling in a big pile of stuff. That's why I got burned. But I remember getting the last bedroom. There were bunk beds in the last bedroom. As soon as I got it knocked down, I... I told Captain Brown, I says, you know, Cap, I think I'm burned. And uh, he puts it on the radio. I'm like, I didn't want it on the radio. And the rescue came and got me, and they threw me in the back of the rescue and cut my pants off. But that's probably one of my one of my best pushes. You know, we had, I think we had six rooms. Wow. No, that's phenomenal. The names involved at the beginning, the humanity of it, like like human error, et cetera, that all of us are fallible no matter who we are, all the way to – the sheer number and amount of fire. I love <laughs> what a great one. Um, Matt Johnson says, what are you good with audience questions? Cause they're coming at you hot and fast. I'm good with anything. Listen, I'm, I'm fine. As long as I got my Jameson, I'm good. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. What floor would you stretch off the engine to versus running the standpipe? Well, you know what? The, in New York now, you know we've made we've made it allowable to stretch to the to the to the second floor. You can stretch off the regular first or second floor. Okay. Above that, you're taking a stamp. So it's just standard SOG, you know, the, SOP. Caveats with certain buildings that you can stretch. Um, uh, buildings that don't have long interior hallways, you can stretch uh, off the rig for. Um, and then we had renovated buildings that never had a standpipe. They were tenements. But when they renovated, they put a standpipe in, and I stretched those all the time to the fifth and sixth floor simply because they weren't maintained systems and we couldn't rely on them. So, you know, I can, uh, you know, it may take me a little longer, but stretching off the rig, I know for sure that eventually a line's going to get there. You know? I love it. Kyle, coming at you one more time. In your experience, Tim, how long have FDNY engine companies? been using the tactic of flowing while moving with inch and three-quarter hose? So I don't know the exact date that they went to inch and three-quarter. I believe 
in the mid 70s, early to mid 70s is when they went to the inch and three quarter. But once once we got the inch and three quarter, it was open and and flowing. It wasn't, you know, and for us, when we open that line, it stays open till we till we put the fire out. You know, so basically that started when we switched from all two and a half. And I believe historically somewhere uh, early to mid 70s is when when they went to the inch and three quarter. Love it. I want to catch you up on. Well, yeah, <laughs> FDNY. Uh, tigers in the mud. I think the book he's referring tigers to is in the mud. Tigers in the mud. Okay, so I'm just catching you up on on a uh, uh, every, what everybody's saying. Um, uh, Corley, tell them if you donate more to the scrap, you get a better connection. I wish that was true. I would make it happen, but that's not true. So I, w- I, I would love that for to be true. Now, now, who said tigers in the mud? You did or somebody else? No, no, I'm reading the comments to you. It was uh, it's Kyle, Smoothbore Cartel. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, now it isn't a leadership book. It's just about a German Panzer commander. So it's somebody, you know, Chief Lieb. I told him that 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 you know the enthusiast, and he goes, "That's unbelievable." What book did you get it from? Right. So I told him Tigers in the Mud, and he bought the book. And then he calls me, and he said, "This has nothing to do with leadership." I said, "No, it was just a quote. It was in the book." Right. You know. I I love history books, man. I absolutely. Oh and, man, I got. Okay, we'll talk. Uh. Someone said something. I'm trying to find. I'm, trying, I'm scrolling through a lot of comments. I'm just trying to catch you up with some non-question comments. As Carl, uh, Carl Tylinda said, standpipe is like a black hole, and you are hoping water will come out of the other end. That crazy Carl? Crazy Carl. I don't know him, but if, if you know him. I, I think he's up in, well, he was from Fort Drum, if, I don't, if I'm not mistaken. Right on. Uh, uh, yep. All right, there we he go. Goes, yeah, he, he just retired, I believe, also. Someone said, one more, t- one more room, Timster. I don't one know if more, that's... Patty Brown. One more room. He was a liar. Every fire went to with Patty Brown. He'd go, one more room, Timster. And I would tell him after the fire, you know, it was two more. Cap, two more rooms. <laughs> he was the best. I loved him. Uh, all right. Kevin, uh, I got... Uh... All right. <laughs> Kyle said, most of the remaining questions are mine. So if he has some bullet points, then go for it. So I don't dominate the questions. I absolutely love the fact that he said that. But... Uh, Kevin Fluger wants to know, Lieutenant, can you tell the story about the basement push you had? So I don't know if that means something to you or not. Yeah, who asked the question? Kevin Fluger. He's out of Texas. So um, I brought it up earlier about the Chiefs that said we didn't go down the stairs. It's funny. It was ready to change the tours, and uh, we we turn on the Cortona Avenue, and I tell the guys – you know, I think we might have something. I can see some smoke down the block. We pull up and, you know, the building was showing quite a bit of smoke, but there was no visible fire. So I'd already, you know, and basement fires are, you know, the, the key to a basement fire is figuring out you have a basement fire. You know, you know, once you know I have a basement fire, you can apply everything. But find it, making sure that you have one is, is very key to those fires. Uh, but we were met at the door by a guy that told us that the fire was actually in the cellar. So um, Dougie Mitchell, who was the captain of 38 truck, uh, he got the, he found the stairs, opened the door, and the fire from the cellar blew out of the doorway into the first floor. So the fire had possession of the cellar, possession of the cellar stairs. So I get up to him and I tell him, listen, give me the door, because I always wanted to control the door, whether it was the apartment door or the or, or a cellar door or anything. I always wanted to control of that. Even if it was what even if it was the room that was on fire, I wanted control of that door. Right on. So I get the door, my guys come in and I tell them what I needed them to do how to flake out. And I told the nozzle man, this is what was going to happen. 
that you're going to have to flow to get down the cellar stairs. And, and, you know, that's worst case scenario. Most time you can get down the stairs without flowing, but because we had fire in the stairway itself, we were going to have to flow to get down. So I just, I told them, I go, listen, you know what? I'm going to open the door. The fire's going to come out. I go, you know, give it a second and then we'll open the line and push down there. Let the fire do what it wants to do because we're introducing it to something that it doesn't have. Right. Oh, so sure enough. I open the door, out first floor. We open up and, and we go down the stairs and, and, you know, one of the funny parts about that fire was that, you know, my left and my right side just don't know. You know, my body does, but my it never makes my mouth. So we get to the bottom of the stairs, and I'm pointing to the left, and I'm yelling to the nozzle man, it's to the right, you got to go right. Al, you got to go right, and it's to the left. And I, and I knew it's to the left. So right. we make the turn, you know, and then we get good water into the cellar, but I hear uh, the battalion chief saying that they're going to put a line into the cellar window because it's, now it's vented out a couple of cellar windows and it's got the side of the building going. So I can't get a hold of the chief. And, you know, and I, I asked Doug who would follow us down the stairs. I said, hey, am I coming through? Can you hear me on the radio? And he says, yeah, I can hear you. So I get on the radio. I tell everybody, hey, shut the fuck up. Right on the radio. <laughs> everybody shuts up. And I tell the chief, listen, do not put that line in the window. We are in the cellar and we're knocking the fire down. And, you know, like after that, you know, like I couldn't have been more proud of that company that day. Uh, 88 engine them those guys that day and like i said earlier i don't think really there's five companies that would have gone down those stairs yeah I, I really really don't only because you know we were left with very little choice uh we hadn't identified a second means in the cellar yet we were told there was a family trapped on the second floor um you know it's one of those decisions you know what i right. mean the decisions and, and company officers and, and not to go back to company officers but you know like a chief's going to give a company officer a task. It's up to the company officer to decide if he can complete that task. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it would have been very easy for me at the cell, top of those stairs to say, Chief, we're going to sit here. We can't get down to something. No one ever would have questioned that. You know what I mean? But sometimes, you know, you got to pull up your big boy pants and, and you make that decision. And we made that decision to get down. Guys did everything I asked. And we put that fire out. And one thing about a cellar fire, if anybody goes to those things, I, I would tell you, as soon as you get the fire knocked down in that cellar, as an officer, you should immediately, immediately be looking for relief of your company. And the reason I tell you that is, you know, air becomes a premium now. Um, and, and if we've used air at the front door, we've gone from the front door on the first floor to the door to the cellar, down in the cellar, throughout the entire cellar. But for us to get out, we can't just stick our head out a window anymore and we can't dive down the stairs. We've got to go back up the stairs to the first floor that's still full of smoke to get out. So air becomes a little bit of a premium at cellar fires. Mm. So, you know, once you get that knocked down, I, I would be immediately asking for a company to come down and relieve uh, me so I can get fresh bottles. Shannon Stone said, Tim is hands down one of the best engine bosses I have had the privilege to learn from. Duh man. With yeah, I love Shannon Stone. He's ah. a liar. Shannon's the best. He's uh, And hopefully uh, I'll be seeing him in New York in the summertime. Uh, I think I will be, but Shannon, if anybody gets a chance to, to, uh, listen to Shannon Stone, his leadership stuff, very, very good. He's going to be here next Friday in Oklahoma. Uh, he's great. He's great. And, and his brother both. DJ and him both going to be here. Me and my son both going to watch the presentation. So absolutely yeah. going to be awesome. You're, time. You're, you will not be let down. Shannon's, um, you know, I speak oh. very highly of him because it's very easy to do that. I'm a huge fan of him. I've taken his class, the nuggets from the right seat. I don't know. Three times, and every time I take more notes. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, you know, he's got a good perspective on it, too. Right on. You know, from every level. 
You know? And then Very Brian good. Arnold said, hey, Tim, for all that's warm and fuzzy, please tell people why we don't use combo nozzles on standpipe operations. <laughs> well, you know, most people don't know why we use two and a half. You know, it, it's it's a hydraulic thing. I mean, you start on the combo nozzles, and there's, there's a lot of the main reason is hydraulics. I mean, you start looking at the hydraulics as supplying a combo nozzle off a standpipe system. Now you get away with it in smaller buildings, but you get higher up, um, and that rig's gonna, you're gonna have to strap down that rig in the street to supply it. And, and the other thing is, you know, like even though you're operating in a straight stream position, you know, you get a good fire that's out in the public hallway and you get the, you get the block walls that are heated up. You're going to, you're going to make that a very, very untenable position uh, with a broken stream like that. So, you know, the main reason is hydraulics. And then, you know, um, the, the difference of steam generation between the two nozzles is a big deal when it comes to those compartmentated block areas. Right. You know, no, nope, you can't answer, but I don't know why we use fog nozzles at all, but call me goofy. <laughs> uh, Kyle says, and Kyle Romicus has a lot of questions coming at you, and I love this because he's mining for gold. Is there a time frame in your career when you started noticing the fires that you were fighting progressing faster than you were used to? Is there is there anything uh, you can really narrow it down to? Uh, you know what? That, that's a hard question only because I think by the time we get there, a lot of what they're talking about has already happened, you know, and, and from, you know, like, so I was an engine guy, so I always had the howitzer with me. So, you know, I was always was able to, you know, control a lot of that with water. You know, if I had water, so, you know, if you were asking a truck guy, a guy that's been in there doing a search without a line, he could probably answer that question a little better than I could. Only because you know he doesn't have water. He doesn't. Have, he doesn't have the equalizer of water with him. Um, but you know, I, I I'm trying to think if I have been the one fire at all that that I can say, yeah, you know what, this is one of those fires they're talking about. Um, I don't think that fires have changed that much in the last 20 years. Everybody says 20 years. I, you know, I think the plastics and synthetics and all that stuff was there. Uh, if we're talking 50 years, yeah, I think there's a change. I think there's a difference. You know, my grandmother had the old thistle couch, you know. Right, right. So um, in my in my career, um, the time period, I don't think that, that – um, I think that a lot of that change had already taken place. Um, I think thermal pane windows have done a lot for us. Uh, when I first got on New York City, every time we turned a corner, it was fire showing. And toward the end of my career, we turned a corner and you had that black snotty stuff showing. And, and you know, once they took the glass and that's why we start, we changed some of our protocols about uh, taking of glass, um, you know, based on those those legacy fires and stuff. Right on. No, I love the answer. I love this question. This is coming from Romagus. So this is like Corley and Romagus question, Timmy Kledauer. But I love it. Absolutely. If you could fill your engine. I love these fantasy questions. I really do. If you could fill your engine with any firefighters, alive or not, who would it be and what assignments would they have on the rig? I'd be the officer. I'd be the nozzle man. I'd be. (laughs) 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 No. uh... Um. Let's see. Jimmy Carney would be the chauffeur. One hundred percent. Patty Brown would be the boss. Uh, Jim John Newell would be the boss. John Newell would be the boss. He was oh, my wow. guy. John was 
Huh? Okay. No, I, I know Patty Brown. I'm a huge fan. I, 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 so I don't know Patty Brown. I'm a huge fan of Patty yeah. Brown. Yeah. The, well, the legacy. You so more, when you when you do the switch, it makes me go. Really, there's someone you would take over Patty Brown. So that makes me listen. I, listen, Patty Brown. I loved him, and he was great. But I worked a lot more with John Newell. Okay. Um, John Newell was a guy that, to be honest with you, when I got promoted and and good to go back to that, you know, have have a mentor if you're a young officer. Someone that, you know, what, you know, always ask yourself, what would he do? And, and John was the guy that I said, hey, what would John Newell do? And I made no bones about it. I told John to his face. I said, you were my guy, man. He was always ready to go to work no matter what. He was always ready. You know, he got off that rig at every fire. He had the bottle with him. So, uh, yeah, he'd be the boss. Carney be the, uh, the, the, the chauffeur. Um, I don't know. uh I had great chauffeurs in 88, too. Uh, you know, Timmy Carter might be out. Eddie Anzalone, Mike, Mike Hayes. There was some, there's a, there's too many to mention. There was, there was just so many, so many good guys, you know, uh, to sit there and try to pick a group of all-stars out. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, but if I had to work for one officer, you know, my, my guy would have been, would have been John Newell. You know, I, I went to a lot of fires with him. And, you know, I remember him telling me, like, he got hey, a whisper in my ear. We had the whole flat in a vacant building going. And he just leaned over. He goes, hey, Tim, you got anything left? Just like that. You know, <laughs> no excitement, no anxiety. You got anything left? And I says, yeah, I, I think I got a couple more rooms in. All right, well, let's see what we can do. I mean, he was just – and Patty Brown was no different. It was just I worked a lot more with John and, sure. and trained a lot more. And we, uh, John, I took to the FDIC with me, and uh, he actually became a guy that taught a lot around the country too. Love the stories, man. Absolutely, and the and the and the reasons behind them, man. Uh, Kyle says, "What are some of the most common mistakes you have seen students make during the live fire engine evolutions at FDTN?" Uh, uh, well, I mean, listen. There's an epidemic in the fire service, and you know, I don't know what it is, but everybody stands up. Nobody's down low anymore, and I, and you know, like. Have you ever seen me at any training exercise where we do a live, where it's a live hands-on training, whether we flow water or not, if I'm going to take a line in through a, whether it's a fake hallway or, or to a vacant house that we're going to flow water room by room with no smoke, you'll see me. I'm, I'm very good at making myself small and I'm down low and out of the doorway. So, you know, guys, they, they've got to get down low, get out of the doorway. You know, there's so much more knowledge to gain down there. It's not, you know, the guys say, well, it's not hot. It's not, it's not smoky up there. Why do I need to be down here? And then I bring them down low, especially when we're doing a live burn. I go, this is why, right? Now we can see the floor. We can, we can get some direction of smoke. Up there, we can't even get any direction. I can look in. Maybe I can see the fire underneath smoke. Maybe I can see the direction. So that's one of the big, big mistakes. And I think that I think they try, they try to do more um, than, than they should at the time. They, like they try to race. And they're not deliberate in how they push a line. And I tell guys, slow down, whether there's fire in front of you or not, and be deliberate about your movements. You, you know, you're getting of your side rooms, of sweeping the floor, of getting a line back up to the ceiling, about making those terms, uh, you know, about waiting for the people behind you that are trying to supply you hose to catch up with you. You know, that's what happens. Oh, the guy didn't do his job. I go, well, you just ran through this building. Slow the foot down. <laughs> be deliberate. Right. You know. Have a plan of how you, you know, like layouts are extremely important. And I think that most guys in most municipalities, when they go to a fire in their municipality under their umbrella, 
they can look at a house and say, oh, a high ranch is this, a center hall colonial is this, a cape is this. So the layout shouldn't be a problem for you. So you should have a plan based on, okay, I can see the fire coming out this window of what you're going to do before you do it. If you're waiting till you get up to where the fire is to have a plan of how you're going to push your line through multiple rooms, then then what are you doing? So, you know, be deliberate. Have that plan of how you're going to push that hose through. Which rooms do you want to get first? I always tell guys, if I've got a second floor front to rear and it's out the front windows, you know, everybody says you get the backs first because it's easier. I go, no, I get the front rooms first because it's harder. And if I knock down those front rooms, the chief calms down. If there ain't no more fire showing out of those front windows, the chief tends to calm down a little bit, mm. you know? So have that plan. Slow down, get down low, out of the doorway, and start making your decision process, you know, before you go in. Love it. Scott Hope Jr. coming at you with another question. Tim, And I li- it's a question we get a lot, so I want to hear your take on it because this is, this is a, uh, 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 I don't know. Yes, I like blondes. Is that the question? <laughs> It's already answered. No. Uh, how can you slowly transition your crew from a me first or us first to a, you know, basically the whole EMS version of and switching it to a citizens first mentality without completely disrupting everything they have ever been taught previously? Well, I, I, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> I think that's a slippery slope. That, that we talk when we talk about that, you know, and I do talk about it. And a lot of people don't like when I talk about who comes first and, and they come first. There's, there's no question they, they come first. Our decisions are based on them. Um, I think that, I think that whole me mentality, I mean, if you're there with that me mentality that, um, I, I how do I say this? So there, there is a, a mindset out there that, and, and I don't want to say safety mongers because I think we need to be safe on the fire ground. Um, but I, I think we need to be safe. But but we have this this term. It's called an obligation. I mean, it was in the brochure. And when we signed up to do this job, I mean, there was that word that we did have an obligation. And so so we've got to understand that, you know, we're there on their worst moment. And it, it's got to be about them, even in EMS. Like I never was a shirker at EMS. You know, I was getting paid to do a job. Everybody hated EMS. And I would tell guys, listen, when I got on New York City Fire Department, we weren't doing it. You got on New York City Fire Department and you were doing it and you seem to be the one that complains about it the most. You know, we're here to serve the public. At some point, though, you know, our decision making is for them. What we do on a fire round is for them. But but there is a point that, you know, like, you know, I've got to say, hey, you're going to come out with me. Right. You know. There's got to be that point, and, and and I make that point because if you know that I have your back, we know they're first, and, and we're doing everything we can, but at some point, you know, it, it might come that I have to make that decision, them or you, and, it, and I can tell you this unequivocally, 100% of the time, it's going to be you. And here's the reason is, is we, we, we had that word when we first started about trust, and it's the fuel that runs what we do that and, and it's the it's the thing that it's that me generation. It really is. You know, if you know I have your back, what can't we do? Mm-hmm. You know, but if you if there's any doubt of whether I have your back or whether you can trust me, I can tell you what we can't do. You know what I mean? But if if you know I'm gonna be there no matter what, think about what, what we can get done. 
And I think that's what we have to put into people. You know, like they're first. We make decisions based on that. We're going in the house. Why? Not because there's fire in there, because there's people in there. The fire's just in our way. That's all that is. You know, that's why we go in. Make no It's not because of the fire. The fire's in our way. We got to take care of that to, to make sure the people are safe. But at some point, you know, I think that you need to know and everybody that, that are with me and my guys in 88 or whatever company anybody's in that, hey, listen, I have your back too. And then once they know that, I it's I think it's limitless what we can do. You know, that, and that's me. That's my opinion. You know, that's when I stay quiet because I don't want to ruin a great soundbite. <laughs> it's like powerful, man. It really no, is. It's true. It's everybody says that's no. about the fire. It's not about the fire. Fire's just in our way, <clears throat> right? Yes, I love the mindset, brother. I I love the mindset. Trust is the fuel that runs what we do, man. It certainly is. Without um, it, we're nothing. <clears throat> Uh, <laughs> Matt Johnson says, what body position have you seen the best results from to flow and move the line? Me, personally, I like the, uh, a knee down and knee out in front. <clears throat> That's what I like. And, and with, the front, with, the, with the extended leg out in front, I could check the floor if I needed to. If I wasn't getting a good sounding with the line, I could always give it a wrap with my ankle to check that floor. I never like the two knees down because uh, if uh, if you start getting burned, which knee do you say? You know what I mean? With one knee down, one leg out, I can always switch if I needed to if one certain knee started to get hot. Gotcha. You know, people say duck walk. I mean, if you can duck walk, more power to you. But I don't know if you can duck, duck walk, moving a line, flowing. It's, it's very hard to do, you know? Uh, in your experience, who ha- who was responsible for searching the fire room after knockdown? The attack crew or the truck crew? Well, in New York City, the, the truck was always responsible the, for the search. And even once we knocked down that room, they would try to push bias and get in that room. But I was always I would always try to get in there and get a search. But in a place with limited manpower, I would tell you right now, if you're if you're the engine officer and you get one or two rooms of fire and you get into the fire room, there is nothing wrong with telling your guy to to shut that line there and start a secondary or primary search of the fire room. And and I would let the chief know, hey, listen, the primary of the fire room is complete. And they, nice. Nice. You know I mean? love that. And you're not stepping on anybody's toes that way. You're the first one in that room. Right. You know, there quite possibly could be somebody still viable in that room. You're going to wait for the, you know, in New York, the truck is right there. But in a, in a place with limited manpower, you're well within that, right? And I think you should be doing it because – there is always the chance, you know, they're in the closet. They're under a bunch of stuff that there's someone still viable in that area. Um, and you'd beat yourself up for a lifetime if you waited for somebody else to come in and check that room and they found somebody. Uh, Dude, I hope, if nothing else, maybe two departments in this country rewrite their SOPs to, to reflect what you just said, man. And that'll be worth it. So I, I absolutely love that, that, that answer. Um, here we go. Tim. Was it someone or something that sparked your passion? What was it, and when did it start? The minute I popped out of my mother. <laughs> well, you know, like I always, I told you, I said this before on another podcast I did that, you know, I, I can't ever remember not wanting to do anything else. Now, my father was a, a cop by trade, but he was a volunteer fireman, and I hung around the firehouse as a kid. But even before I was hanging around a firehouse, you know, the truck would go right by my house. Uh, it was an old C-model Mac. I loved it. Um, and that turned out to be the first truck I ever drove was the, the same C-model Mac. But like I said, even as a very, very small kid, you know, it's all I thought about. And when I got older and got into the fire service, 
you know, I, I took every class I could take. And, and um, you know, if you, if you bear with me, you know, I think that, and I said this once before on another one, and I think everybody has a turning point in their careers. And I, I think that everybody has that fire in their career that they say, boy, I wish I had that fire back. You know, I wish I had that fire to be. I'm not going to tell you the whole story about a fire I had when I was very young. Feel um, free. We had, a, we had a four-year-old girl get killed. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I wasn't good enough that day. I was young. I was 22 years old. But even at 22, like all 22 years old, I thought I was the bomb. You know, all I had was, you know, I had the, I had balls the size of coconuts. And that was it. That's I didn't know what I was doing. And, uh, you know, we listened to a four-year-old girl die. And, and that was my point, you know, at 22. You know, I always knew what I wanted to do. But when, after that fire is when I said, I am never, ever, ever not going to be good enough again. I'm, this is never going to happen to me again. Now, it's a pretty bold statement to make at 22 and, and, and probably a tough one to fulfill. But you know what? If, if, you've got to have a target. If you don't have a target, you're going to be nothing. You know, you, you've got to be shooting for something to get there. If, you, if you're not... If you don't have a goal, then you're never going to get there. And, and that was the one that started that for me, that, you know, for me to say, hey, listen, you know, I'm never, ever not going to be good enough again. Uh, and that's when I took every class I could, every hands on, got involved, took every test I could take. Um, and did it work out for me? I don't know. But what do you write? I have to mark timestamps for these sound bites. Oh, Okay. That's what I have. Otherwise, I have to listen to the whole thing to find them again. But no, one hundred percent. And that's the other reason why. Thing, whole thing again? Boy, no, I have to. I have to keep quiet because I've ruined so many good sound bites by going, "Oh yes, hell yes." But it's true. You know, you'll know. I think everybody will know when they're there when they make that decision that, "Hey, listen, you know, this is what I want to do, and I'm never going to be not good enough again." And listen, who doesn't want to be the guy uh, that when the chief turns around, they go, "Hey, Timmy, can you get this done?" Yes. And you know what the chief wants to hear? Yeah, I can do that. Hell yes, I can get it done. I can do that. I can get that done for you. Von Brown said top three scraps, hands down. We're not even done yet. Well, but. we're shooting for one, though. There's still time. <laughs> no, and, and with the with the issues, man, thank you, audience, for putting up with stuff that is nothing to do with Tim and 100% to do with uh, ah internet, but not the point. Um, I love, love, love to ask my guests book or books that they think firefighters should be reading does not have to be a firefighter book just i love Um, reading you know i thought on combat was really good um i think peterson and grossman or peterman wrote the book it's and it's about how the mind works under stressful situations and i know that that um the fire service has really you know delved into that whole um mental performance initiative and i think some of it is applicable what we do and i think some of it isn't only because you know, the fire service, especially engines, is a team sport. And some of the mindset stuff and in the, in the mental performance stuff is individual stuff. And, you know, I took one of the classes and I asked the guy, I go, ah, that's great that if I'm pitching to the best hitter in the league, I've got to condition myself and be in the right mindset to do that. But when I have three other guys, how do I get my mindset into them? Right. You know, and we do that through training, but it's a very hard bridge to cross. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so, so on combat, I like a lot. Uh, like I love Grossman, but everything you're saying is the problems I had with it. Like the like the translations. When when you're in the comparisons, the, I didn't like. I, right. That's all. You know, because there was individual comparisons where this is a team spurt. You know, you're cutting a roof. You, you know, you got one guy with the saw, one guy guiding you. So if both your minds isn't in the same playing field, 
So how how does that work? Do you know what I mean? So now I do love I do love his preparation for Code Black Code. You know, just I love that side of it. So don't get me wrong because that's see the Code Black issue is a is a real good training issue, and that's why we train the same way over and over and over. And negative training is bad because you know when you get to condition black that you, you cease to make cognitive decisions and muscle memory is going to kick in. And that's why we train the way we do. Right. So your body will be doing stuff because that's what it's, what's, what you trained it to do. You know, you know what I mean? And I and smile I so big because I love the way you articulated that. Like, it, like, like, yes, nothing. Go ahead. <laughs> well, like I've done this before, but yes, uh, yeah. I like that book. I, you know, like, listen, any, any book that's fire related, I mean, even storytelling books, you know, I, I can tell you to read an IFSA manual. I can read it. I, I read NFDA 14. You know, you want to put a bullet in your head? Read NFDA 14. <laughs> but it's it's who I was. It was what I read because it's who I wanted to be, you know, and what I wanted to know because I never wanted to be not good enough again. So once I started doing standpipes, you know, I, I read NFDA 14. Um, I wouldn't tell you to read that. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if there's a if there's one book I would say, hey, that's the book to read to be a good fireman. Sure. Because you know, I, I could read I read lots of books about uh, World War II, and I don't know if I'd ever be a good soldier. You know what I mean? I, no, absolutely. These guys had balls the size of you know, not cantaloupes, oh. even bigger than that. So, but I think that if you just stay into the game, and you know, if you're reading Fire Engineering, Firehouse, uh, FDTN's magazine from Jimmy McCormick's place. The, Fire Department Training Network, you know, and just get as much information. And even if it's even if it's contradicting information, you know, everybody say, oh, that's wrong, it's wrong. There's nothing wrong with having two contradicting opinions. Right on. So, because the fire service is straight. You know, in New York, we call them in hydrants. In Baltimore, they call them plugs. So, you know, you know, there's nothing wrong with having contradicting opinions on stuff. Maybe somewhere in the middle we can find middle ground and, have, and get a real solution to them. So, you know, I, I just that, stay in the game. Love it. Al, I, there's so much. I mean, we, we do, I ask one question that we plan tonight because so many great questions from the audience and everything else. This is the vigilante question of the week, and uh, we might have already answered it somewhat, but it comes from David Pruitt, and he said, what advice would you give the next Tim Klett that is out there that wants to make a difference? The next up and, you know, just, yeah, passionate guy. <laughs> Um, that's easy. I think to me, that would be easy. You know, always strive to be better than the day before. Mm. To me, I think, you know, always try, you know, learn from every experience. That That's all, you know, like I tell everybody, anything, anytime you take, take a class, any training that you do, any fire you go to, if you, if you better yourself by one thing, just one thing from every training you do, even every fire you go to, then we start adding that up at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the year, you know, you're 100, 200, 300, 400 things better. And I always tell guys, you don't know what you know until you use it. I had a fire one time and uh, we turned the block, pick up the phone and I give the 1075 ends up being a second alarm, really first class fire. And there was nobody hanging out the windows, nobody in the street and everybody else the, the truck boss goes, Timmy, you know, after the fire, he goes, what did you see that gave the 1075? Because there was nothing showing. I says, you know, years ago when I was in Harlem, an old timer always told me, when I turn the corner, I don't look, I never look down the block. I never look at the buildings. He goes, I look up at the sky over the buildings. 
because there's in New York City, the buildings are rows. He goes, I always look up over them to see if there's any smoke in the sky. And sure enough, when that night we turned that corner, and I, I, I never knew I did it, I'm always looking up, and I could see the black column of smoke coming off the rear of the building with embers in it. I knew I had a fire. And and it was one of those things that you picked up in a conversation. Right. That, that was there, and you didn't even know what they were the next thing. And I'm sure there's people out there in your audience that say, are going, shit. You know, that happened to me. I know I was trying to force the door all of a sudden I did this. And I'm like, where did that come from? You know, you just don't know what you know until you use it. So challenge yourself. Be better than the day before. Love it. Okay, before I get to the five questions, I did not know this before. Like we logged in earlier. Before our internet issues, we were getting ready to go live. And I found out, like, uh, you're a first generation. I don't know. You may be third for all I know. But you have two sons that are on the job. Yes, I do. Very, very, very connects to me. My son is on the job. He's, he, he, he just completed his rookie year a couple months ago. And so I just wanted to pick your brain on how that's been for you, how long you've been dealing with it, and uh, the challenges well, you've faced. Well, it was funny because they both joined the volunteer fire department in Montgomery, New York with me. So nice. unfortunately, the three of us together never really got to go to a fire. We went to a couple of training fires together. Right on. Uh, some real, real good fires in, in live burn buildings. We never got to go to a fire. I've been to fires with my older son, Daniel, and my younger son, son Connor. But we never went to fires together in the volunteers. And then uh, they both started taking tests. They decided they wanted to be firemen. And, you know, like it's their life, it, you know. And, um, you know, everybody wants better. And I'm not saying being a fireman's bad. But, you know, you always hope they were going to be brain surgeons, you know. Right. Sure, sure. Um, Astronauts. and but, Yeah. But they, that's what they decided. And, and, you know, I supported them. And now they're both of them. Uh, my older son, uh, son Dan has been in Baltimore City now for six years. Six years in, in March, I believe, or, or five years, one of the two. And sure. then Connor, my son Connor, is in Baltimore City also and uh, just getting ready to graduate their academy uh, next month. Congrats, so they'll be man. together in Baltimore in a very, very busy fire department. So it has no, its I, ups and downs. It's a legit job town, without a doubt. It's I, legit. They go to fires. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I'm a how- little jealous. And, and to be honest, my older son uh, does not hold back when he goes to a fire to make sure I know that I, he went to one and I didn't. So, right on. you know, there's a little bit of rivalry <laughs> going on, which I love. Absolutely. Um, but he goes to fires and, and my younger son, Connor, will be going to fires, too. Right so, on. But how is know, that? Huh? How is that for you? Just, you know, you, you've been in the game for a long time, 40, 40 plus. And long time. yeah. And then well, now, you know, now they're is, they're plugging into this. It, it's funny because, you know, being the guy, it's on, uh, you know, being the, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying I'm the guy. I'm just saying, you know, being a guy that was, that was a fireman, you never thought about anybody else around you and what they felt and what they thought, you know, and even when I retired, I, I sat down and I looked at a lot of things and I thought about my wife and I said, you know, she, she's been a, a fire. We, we've been together almost the whole time. So she's been okay. a firefighter for, you know, 35 years also. And uh, the only difference was, she got all the bad that the job offers. None of the good. You know, we as firemen, we get all the good, all the fun. Oh, yeah. And listen, anybody out there that's listening to this, it's a lot of freaking fun. Oh, yeah. It is. I don't care what anybody says. It's a lot <laughs> of fun. You know, she didn't get to go to fires. That's fun. She got weekends alone, holidays alone, snowstorms alone, 9-11 alone. You know, she got all the bad that the job offers. And I never realized that until, until – uh, my son Daniel is in. He's assigned the 14 engine in Baltimore, and last January, 
Um, they had the fight, fire on Stricter Street that killed three three firefighters, uh, two of them from 14 Engine. And I couldn't get a hold of my son for a uh, period of time. And I was actually in Georgetown, Kentucky doing a class. And I was flying home from Kentucky, from Louisville. And uh, keeping my composure in the airport was a struggle at best. Because, Ooh. you know, I had visions of some very, very dark thoughts. Um, you know, thank God he was okay. And um, he showed me a lot after that. Um, he rose to the occasion. Um, and um, that's how I know he's going to make it because... Not only have I heard he's a great fireman, he um, he's a he's a fireman. And what I mean is that, um, you know, when that happened, he was at the firehouse every day, washing the rig, making sure it was ready for the funerals, met, taking care of the the other guy that got hurt, getting called in the middle of the night by the guy's girlfriend, going over to let, get to, to his house. I mean, those are things that those are the intangibles of this job. Right on. Uh, of what we do as the fire service as a um, as a family, I guess you'd call it, you know. So, yeah, it's good, though. I'm proud of them, both of them. You should be, man. It's powerful. I love it. Okay. So on the uh, weekly scrap, we have a thing we do, and it's called the five questions for firefighters. We did the original five questions for like 100 and, I don't know, 20 episodes, and then we switched it up. And so now it's called Doesn't the next. Didn't me any warning what they were? I, I think <laughs> I sent you an email at some point. Oh, okay. Whatever. In theory. I don't need any. I mean, I'm fine. But, uh, not the point. Yeah, you'll crush them. The, uh, the questions are, there's no right or wrong answers. It's 100% your opinion. And the points are arbitrary. And they're assigned by me with the help of the audience to, uh, to go with it. So, number one. Are you ready for the next I'm five ready. questions for five? Okay, here we go. Number one. What single characteristic makes the difference between a run-of-the-mill firefighter and the top-tier Go to badass firefighter. Dedication. You want you want one word, right? One word. Dedication. Yeah. Do you want not to just hit? not just to being a good fireman? Dedication to the whole thing, to the fire service itself, to what it means, to the you know to the people around you. Just be dedicated to that, mm. you know, and understand. It. But dedication. I think you need to be dedicated. If you're not, if you're not in it a hundred percent, then you're never going to get a hundred percent out of it. <laughs> Dude, I can't even. You had me a dedication. Uh, Greg Van Ham said max points from the start, one hundred percent max points because dedication, and and not just that, the way you describe it, you like dedication, max points. Number two, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice as a rookie, rookie probationary firefighter. What would it be? Shut up and listen. <laughs> That's strong. Um, yeah, listen more. Uh, not that I not that I opened my mouth, but you know, anytime anybody with time opens their mouth, it's something worth hearing. You know that uh, you know even even the guys that are slouches and we know who they are. Every once in a while, they come out with something like, "Holy cow!" You know, I think that I would have done more, a lot more listening than talking. As a younger fireman, I love it, I, dude. Uh, I'm gonna give. I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see what the audience says about show. That's my number one piece of advice I give everyone. Well, you've heard the four ups, right? Have you heard the four ups? I'm gonna shut up. I know shut up's got to be never heard of, the, of being hit an me. Hit me. The four ups of being an upbeat probie. It's listen up, step up, clean up, 
and shut up. Okay, as long as I got one. Okay, I got one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you want to be a good probie? Remember those four things. I love it. Listen up, step up, clean, clean up, up, shut up. Listen up, step up, clean up, and shut up. Hmm. No, no, absolutely. Two for two, max points. <laughs> Just if you're keeping track at home. Number three, what is your favorite training drill? So I, I like I like I drill a lot on the mask on the SCBS mask. Okay. And the reason I did that was I always felt that it was the it was the one tool we brought with us that was for us. You know what I mean? And I thought that I felt that every firefighter should be personal, should should know that mask like he knows his girlfriend or his boyfriend's body. You know, like you grab this, you know exactly what it is. And I had a whole training regiment that I would do with the probies with the masks. They'd have to assemble it blindfolded. They would have to, you know, they had to know every inch of that mask. And I, and I believe that uh, solely because it's the one tool we bring that's for us. And, and uh, if if we can't do our jobs, it makes them a lot less safe. So if we can manage the masks, know them, if we have issues with them, I think that we, we can still do our jobs. So the, I, for me, it was the mask. Brother. Know, for sure. The one tool we bring that's for us, dude, I, it's just, uh, it gets better and better with each one. <laughs> Number four, max points. One, two, three, max points. Number four, no pressure. What mistake have you learned the most from in your fire service career? <laughs> that's uh, believing that something else was done when it should have been my responsibility to make sure it was done. Just assuming that stuff was taken care of when I, when it, when it should have been checked. And there's no, you know, there's probably a couple stories behind that, but we don't have to get into. It, but you know, and, and not a big deal. You know, we learn from our mistakes. And, no, hundred you know. percent. Well, hopefully, we learn from our mistakes. I love the, I love the ownership you show, and that's what I wrote down was ownership, because that's what you're really talking about, man. And I, God bless, brother. If it, if people could just wrap their brains around that. How much better would it be? Well, I, I think that, the, you know, I, I think, not, and I don't want to pick on a whole generation, but it does seem that that there is a generation. I'm not saying it's within the fire service either. I'm just saying there are people out there that want to blame everything on everybody else. Yes. You know what I mean? Like if I know a family that got sued because the boyfriend called the girlfriend or texted the girlfriend when she was driving and she answered the text. So they sued the boyfriend because he texted her while she was driving. Not her for answering. It. You know what I mean? It's always someone else's answer. fault. And and I think that um, best way to learn was be best way to learn is to be able to recognize your own weaknesses. Because if you, like I said earlier, if you don't recognize your own weaknesses, how are you going to learn? How are you going to get better? No, there's going to be better today tomorrow than you were today. There's an intertwining as I get to know you and, and kind of get into your psyche through these interviews and things like this. Cause we've talked, but we're not yeah. like tight. We're not like super best friends or anything. But as I, there's, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, an interweaving of humility that really, uh, I love and, and is, and is very apparent. And I, I hope you don't mind me pointing that out, but it's very well, strong, listen, brother. I, I've been told that I'm very humble and I, I, I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> there's no, re- for, there's no reason for me to think that I'm, anything any different than any listen and there are people there are people out there that believe they're there because they work in a big city that are better than a guy that doesn't and it's just not true i mean like i think people in smaller cities are better firemen they do more than we do they have to know everything because they just don't have the staffing 
Right on. No, and and you, and you you even articulated that in your tactical answers earlier, and it's just strong. It's strong. Uh, Matt Sleet said this, and I wanted to read it. Sorry, I'm late, way late. I wanted to tell Lieutenant Clett that I loved watching him and his son teach on the parking deck at H Rock. Most people are only involved in their one evolution, and it scrolled on me. I was there. I was there from their first evolution to their last evolution, and they had the same enthusiasm and intensity, and it scrolled on me. Thank you, guys. (laughs) And intensity all day. That's what makes these guys special. Thanks. You know, like, you know, we were soaking wet, so we got soaking wet, and there's a lot of guys out there that, you know, they'll do an engine drill and they won't get wet. And I'm like, listen, if I'm asking these guys to get wet doing a drill and I'm helping them teach it, I'm going to get into the hallway with them and I'm going to get wet. I can always change. My feet were blue for two weeks because the, <laughs> the ink on my socks bled. It was hysterical. But, yeah, I, I appreciate the nice comment. And, um, you know, I think that for students, if they get an instructor that's enthusiastic, I think it helps them be enthusiastic, too. And I think that that type of enthusiasm is um, is contagious. And, you know, that I think a lot of people don't believe that that enthusiasm for the job is still out there. But it is. It does exist. So, you know, even if that guy just left being more enthusiastic about being an engine guy and that was all he took from it, then it's a win. They did say that the engine guys really liked getting wet and the truck guys tried to avoid any sort of overspray or anything. Well, you want to if, you, if you've never seen trucks and water go into a real dark room in a basement, turn on the lights, you see the cockroaches run. That's what truck guys do from the water. Yeah. <laughs> no, and and for all the haters and everybody, all the detractors that say I give out max points too easy, uh, 100% everybody in the audience has agreed for max points. And Lance Campbell said, he wrapped it up really good well. He said, recognize your own weaknesses, in quotation marks. I wish everyone could hear that. And then so many people said max points. So you are four for four on max points, and right. we are ready for the final question. And it is... Heavy fire and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Well, that's, you know, that's a pretty simple question. (laughs) um, I'd like to be on the nozzle. You know, I'd like to be on the nozzle. Yep. Hit me. I want to hear his. I don't want to. I don't care that the answer. I want to know the reason why. You know, in that scenario, it's an engine fire. The minute you said heavy heavy fire, that's an engine fire. You know what I mean? And I think that um, with a good aggressive nozzle team, um, you'll make more searchable spaces and allow more people to do VS in other remote areas. It may allow the truck to get in uh, right behind you into a room off that, maybe the hallway that it had to have fire in. But if you don't have a good aggressive engine company, you know, you can have the best VES guys in the world. You know what I mean? And you may only have that one searchable space because the fire now took possession of the rest of the occupied spaces in that house. So that's why I take it because, you know, like, you know, as an engine guy, I, I never felt that there was a fire I couldn't put out. Now there were plenty of them. But I never went into a fire believing that I wasn't going to put it out. You know what I mean? I, I always had that determination. And I think that, you know, we can turn it up and down a notch. 
you know, when based on the scenarios, you know, a vacant building, we'll put the fire out. We'll be, will we be as aggressive as we would be if you said, hey, I got the same amount of fire, but now there's two kids in the second floor. So I think with a good aggressive nozzle, I make searchable spaces out of more of the house than just that one area that the single VGAS guy will take care of, if that makes sense. Bro, no. Uh, the minute the minute you defined it off heavy fire, that makes this an engine fire. When when you defined it that way, and I was like, yeah, you know what? He just he just killed it in like one sentence. One hundred percent max points. Um, cool. I love 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 that you went five for five and earned every bit of it. Have you had anybody that didn't go five for five? Come yes, on. absolutely, absolutely. And I, I really I try not to make it a big deal. I just move on to the next <clears throat> question. Yeah. When they get max points, I announce it. When they don't, I try to just move on to the next question. Well, so, you know, and can I just say, you know, one other thing is like, I think it's easy. I think the, the answers come really easy when when you're looking, you're, when your perspective is that, you know, I don't think I'm bigger than the job. I, I don't. I, I don't think. And, you know, I owe a debt to the fire service that I'm never, ever going to repay. And and maybe that's why the answers may become easy for me, because I'm not trying to be better than the job or bigger than the job. Or, you know, this is, it's just the way you feel. It's what the job the job has given me everything I have. It's given me my identity. You know what I mean? So I think that it's very easy to be that way. And I think, you know, I think most guys out there are, are, are that way that, you know, that, that I'm, try, I'm giving the answers. I think I'm not trying to give you Absolutely. the answers I think you want to hear. And I'm not giving you the points that I think you, they're they're not gimmies. You you've earned the points that you earned. And, and and a big thing on the max points is the fact that and I'm proud of this. The scrap only has the best guests, so they give the best answers. Hey, top and, three. No, bro, I, I, I <laughs> absolutely. It's arguable. There's someone making a point for it. I don't know what <laughs> metrics they're using, but I, I'm there for you, uh, brother. 100. percent uh, great answers, man. I mean that from the bottom of my great scrap. And I think we got to, okay, I got this one in bright red and I'm just now noticing it from Kyle. Tell the story. <clears throat> if you're, if you're, are you good for one more question? Sure. I'm always, I'm good for whatever you want. All right. Tell the story about your son listening to you on the radio <laughs> while you reported a 1070. This comes from Shannon stone, by the way. Well, my son, Connor, um, he's, he's, he's a lot like me. You know, he's very sarcastic, but, you know, he is. And, you know, the funny thing about him is he got cut real bad in a fire in the valleys. And the first thing he asked me, the very first question he asked me uh, when, when I got to the hospital, um, he was very upset, not about the cut. He's, and he asked me, Dad, is this going to make it so I'm not, I can't be a fireman anymore? That's the only thing he was worried about. Really? Imagine that. Wasn't worried whether his <laughs> hand would work. Right. Wasn't worried whether he was going to be scarred. He was worried that he wasn't going to be a fireman anymore. I, 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 you know, that's that's who he is. He is into it. But. So he used to listen to me all the time on the radio. And, um, and you know, like w when I do some of my communication stuff, you know, I talk about how to talk on the radio, you know, you know, sound like a professional. Don't yell. Don't raise your voice. So I always kind of talked soft on the radio because I didn't want to be known as a, a screamer. One morning, uh, one morning we, we get a phone alarm. It's about 630 in the morning. Usually he, he usually sleeps till 10 in the morning, this kid, but. You know, 6.30, and I turn the corner, and we got a fire, so I pick up the phone, and I go, 8-8, eight, eight, the Bronx, like Eeyore, you know? <laughs> so, uh, and uh, the Bronx is all excited because they're getting phone calls. They know it's a fire. I go, yeah, 1075, fire's on the first floor. You know, not excited, nothing. You know, I'm, I'm busting at the seams. I got a fire, but I don't want people to know that I'm that way. So I put down the phone. We go put the fire out. 10 o'clock in the morning, my son calls me, Connor. He goes, Dad, how was that job this morning? I said, 
I said, yo, you heard, you heard, you heard we had a fire. He goes, dad, I was awake. I was listening. I heard the box go out. I go, no shit. I go, did you hear me give the 1075? He says, yeah, speak up. You sound like a pussy. <laughs> he says it isn't true, but it's true. Yeah, how do you make that stuff up? No, nah, only the sun. Only That's the him. sun. But there yeah, he go. got hurt real bad, and the first thing he was worried about was whether he was ever going to be a fireman again. Imagine that. And there's a, there's so much life lesson in there to learn as far as radio communication. There's a, there's a great class mm-hmm. built in to speak up. You yep. sound like a pussy. Well, listen, if you can't can control your, if you can't control yourself, how you can, can control anything else? First thing you need to do is control yourself, and then we can worry <laughs> about controlling anything else. And, right? and Kyle Smoothbore Cartel said, "Max points to your son." So <laughs> pass it on to Colin. Absolutely. Connor. Oh, Connor. Sorry. Connor, yeah. No, I was close. All right. And with that, we bring number 172 is officially in the books. Perfect. Tim, how can people get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you, reach out to you in any way, shape, or form? What's the best way? Uh, I don't know if you can put my email up, but it's, uh, it's eng88tk at gmail.com. Perfect. So if they if they want to reach out and like I tell guys all the time, any class that I've ever given, and if I give out my email, if you have questions about anything, you know, reach out. I mean, I get back to people. I'm not that guy that oh, this guy's you know anybody that knows me, they know. I may take a couple of days to get back to you, but you know, if you have something that happened, you had a question about, it, reach out to me. I got no problem answering guys from anywhere. Just tell me you listen to me on the uh, on 172, and we'll go from there. It's beautiful, man. I love it. All right, go to firehousevigilance.com. Um, this officially brings the killer lineup of 2022 to a close because this is the last scrap of 2022. Uh, kicking it off next year, David Pruitt, Chief David Pruitt out of Texas. We're going to be talking about live burns um, and and all sorts of uh, – uh, it's going to be a good time. Following that, uh, Driver Joe and then Ben Martin, Chris Snow – 2023 is off to a good start. I don't know if it'll match 2022, but we're trying right out the gate. Uh, it's off. I do, brother. I want to. I want to give you one that is uh, internet stable, and but that's that's the part where I got it. That's the part where I struggle. If you want me to come back, I'll come back. I don't care. It's, I love I it, fun. man. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed if you, it a lot. dude, you killed it. If you want to get stickers, uh, if you want them, go to Amazon. Rate the book, the Nine L's. Give the book a rating. Make sure it's five stars, please. Don't give it a one-star rating and ask for stickers. Five-star rating. Send me a screenshot, and I will absolutely bribe you for ratings. And also the podcast, The Weekly Scrap. Go rate it. Take a screenshot. Send it to me. I'll give you stickers. Um, If you know anyone that wants to be a sponsor, like Keyhoes, Affordable Drill Towers, Flame Decon, Royal Flush, Beer, Lime, Cleaning, message me. Um... If you're not part of the Vigilantes, you are missing out. It's a blast. If you want to be a part, go to FirehouseVigilance.com. Sign up today. Get to be a part of the Vigilantes. Uh, We have great discussions, exclusive discounts, exclusive swag. Okay, all that's out of the way. Tim Klett, thank you for giving me your Thursday evening, brother. I appreciate it. I had a good time. I enjoyed it a lot, man. I feel like like you brought a lot of value to the fire service tonight, and I really appreciate it. Nope. Uh, Nope. Phenomenal guest. Audience, you make the scrap special. Thank you for tuning in live. I love you all. Remember, mutts, don't scrap. I hope the tone stays silent 
unless it is burning. Everybody, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.